Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Canopy Cast with your hosts Christopher McGurn, John Michael Price, and Michael O'Connor. Canopy Cast is a guest based podcast that showcases an ecosystem of expertise through thought leadership and innovation. We bring people together to provide value for our audience through impactful stories and experiences. Canopy Cast, an ecosystem of expertise. Today's episode is brought to you by Oxenham Group. The Oxenham Group is a recruiting company that focuses on why a person takes a job and what makes them stay. They do this by understanding one's motivation, skills, and personal mission. Oxenham's proprietary process focuses on three main areas sociologist prepared questions, IBM proven assessments, and Gallup Clifton strengths. The combined results give the interviewer valuable insight into the potential for close alignment and the likelihood of engagement. For more information, please call 605 610 or visit their website at oxenhamgroup.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Canopy Cast. This is John Michael Price. With me are my two co-hosts, Christopher McGurn and Michael O'Connor. Today we have with us a special guest, Allison Fisher. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Yeah. For those of you that don't know Allison, she's a client success and account management executive with 20 plus years of experience. You know, working with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, she's also a leadership consultant, confidence coach, and motivational speaker. Allison, if you want to give our audience a little bit of a background on yourself, you know, through your, your story and transition to, to who you are today, that'd be great. Sure. So um, I've been in the corporate space for about 20 years um, in client success, as you mentioned, in account management. Um, and for the past couple of years have been focusing more on sort of what makes my heart sing, which is largely coaching women who are survivors of domestic abuse, um, which is part of my own personal story, having um, gotten out of an abusive relationship about 10 years ago. And um, I also advise small business owners and leaders who have reached this sort of echelon in their success but maybe don't have the experience um, in the corporate environment to handle larger presentations or closing contracts. Um, a lot of the time I work with women executives who um, really just need that extra champion in their corner to help give them the confidence they need to go kill that, you know, that presentation that they have to deliver um, in order to close a big deal for them. Um, and I'm a huge, out, um, I'm an outspoken um, proponent for mental wellness. Um, so I speak pretty openly about some of the experiences that I've had with depression in my past. Um, and then again, specifically with being um, a survivor of abuse. And oftentimes people look at me like I'm a little crazy for, for sort of putting those things out there, especially coming from the corporate world. But um, I think if you have a voice, you need to use it. So that's yeah. me in a nutshell. <laughs> of course. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, I know that's a powerful story. A lot of people need to hear uh, you know, it takes, it takes hearing it from someone else a lot of times before you're comfortable really opening up and examining that for yourself. And it's a, you know, it's a really beautiful thing you have to offer, especially through the, the coaching uh, aspect of that for other people. If you want to, uh, if you don't mind, could you go into that a little bit more? I know you mentioned, um, you know, coaching those in abusive uh, you know, situations. Uh, what does that look like for you? You know, I don't, I'm not asking for, you know, examples of, of clients or anything. I know that's not yeah. potential, but um, you know, what, what type of work are you doing with people and, you know, what positive results are you seeing? So um, when I shared my, my personal story a couple years back, the response that I got was overwhelming. And I think it was unexpected 
from my point of view. Um, but I had people telling me that by hearing the, the details and the honesty of what I was sharing, um, whether they were a mom going through those things themselves and they had maybe gotten out of a relationship or maybe they're still in them, or whether they were um, a daughter and they watched their mom go through that, that hearing me talk gave them a release, sort of freed them from some of the shame and the guilt they had been feeling or some of the isolation, feeling like they were the only ones that had ever suffered from that in their lives. Um, and it propelled me to want to talk about it more. I mean, once you start hearing those things, you can't turn back to the genie's out of the bottle. Um, so I started speaking with women specifically about their experiences. You know, anybody that people started messaging me, that's how it actually started to happen. At the time, a couple of years back, I wasn't, you know, marketing or I'm not a, um, a counselor. And I think in the domestic abuse space, um, there's a fine line. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a, not a psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. Um, I'm really trying to help people rebuild and regain the confidence that they need to, to better their own relationships, whether they're romantic relationships or personal or professional relationships, re-enter the workforce, um, and reshape their narrative. Because that's something that I find a lot of women um, don't know how to do. They see them in that, they see themselves in that victim space because that's where they were for so long that they don't know how to see themselves as strong and resilient and powerful and, um, you know, supporters of their own mission and their own wellness. They don't know how to see themselves in that positive light. So we sort of run through what their story really is um, so they can see it from an outsider point of view. Um, so I started getting messages. I started getting private messages a while back um, about how things that I had shared really um, resonated with people. And then I started getting on the phone with them um, because they would ask, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? You know, again, it sort of runs the, the gamut. Um, and then this time, I really put myself out there that way. When I lost my job two months ago, um, I said, you know, now is the time for me to do it. I, I have time now. I'm, I need to really build the foundation and, and put more time and effort into it. So I posted it on LinkedIn and, and told people to message me if they felt that I was the right fit for them. Because you need to have that confidence in me as well. You're talking about very sensitive topics of conversation. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really all been through just talking about it on LinkedIn and being as open and honest as I can. I don't know if there are a lot of other women that talk about it in that space. Not that I've seen at least. Yeah. I think you hit on a really big point, which is, you know, trust. And for a lot of people, they, they're in the space where they want to say something, they want to do something, but there's no trust aspect there for them with someone that they can turn to. Because um, all the people that are close to them, they, they feel like, oh, but if I tell like my friend, maybe she'll mention something to her husband, and then that might get back. And, and you never know, um, you know kind of like how someone's feeling in their headspace in that way. What would you recommend to people, you know, who, you know, maybe if there, there's someone listening, what would you recommend to someone who's in that space where they kind of feel trapped, but they don't really know how to take that next step because there isn't that, that trust formed with anyone? Um, I mean, the internet is a great place. You know, I, I do understand the, um, the hesitation with reaching out to family and friends. I didn't tell anybody either um, when it happened to me. 
and I didn't really start talking publicly about it um, till maybe a couple of years ago. I didn't hide it, but I didn't announce it to the world either. And I felt like a lot of women feel that no one's going to understand you, that no one really knows where you're coming from. And then you get concerned that people are going to take sides or they're going to pass judgment or they're going to question you. Um, they're going to start questioning why you didn't do something sooner or how you had such poor judgment. And it is easier sometimes to talk to a stranger um, if you feel that that person is relatable and that they share a common story with you somehow. So my story is different. Everybody's story is, is unique, but the emotions that we feel are all the same. The feelings of isolation and loneliness and guilt and, um, and fear, I mean, whatever it is. So I try to just put myself out there as open as possible, all scars exposed, so that people can relate to what I'm going through and know that they have a supporter in me if they feel that I can be of help to them. Um, you know, if you don't have an outlet um, like me, or I mean, there's a lot of counseling services that you can go to, local counseling services. Um, there are hotlines as well that you can go to, but I would say you should confide in somebody. It's really my advice to everybody is find someone in your circle of trust that you can really confide in because it helps to release that sense of, of loneliness. The moment you say those words, it's like a weight has been lifted off your shoulder. So um, if you can find somebody, you know, not a hundred people, just one person, and really confide in them, then it will immediately start to improve your confidence to talk about it possibly with others. Um, you know, finding that person is hard though, I get it. You know, finding the, who that whoever that person is in your in your life is is difficult, which is why oftentimes people might reach out to someone like me. Uh, but you have to be on LinkedIn to find me. I mean, it's I'm not all over social media, um, but you can search for it. As I'm saying, I mean, the internet is a phenomenal place. I mean, you can search for survivors, you can search for domestic abuse, you can people like me, I'm sure, will pop up. Yeah, I mean, I I just want to say just before anything else, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for for speaking up and to bringing light on it because like you know john mentioned at the beginning it really is something that so many people struggle with so many people are encountering and having to face and having to carry that and they feel trapped and they yeah. feel like they can't bring that to the light so i just want to say thank you uh for for doing what you're thank doing thank you thank you for that i appreciate it i appreciate it i mean the the, the face of domestic abuse looks like me you know, it looks like your coworker, like your neighbor, like your family member. It's everywhere. Um, people have misperceptions as to what abuse looks like, what what socioeconomic class you need to come from, where you live. It's it's everywhere. Um, and abuse does not have to be physical. That's another misnomer. It doesn't have to be physical. Abuse is control. You know, really unhealthy control. Uh, financially, sexually, emotionally, control of your social media. Um, I spoke with a woman, her husband controls how she cuts her hair, how she dresses, you know, gives you an allowance, controls you, you completely, doesn't allow you to work. I mean, there's, it's not just the physical violence and it's hard to admit that if you're a woman in that situation, because you're, I, I hear a lot from women too, well, I was never hit. Well, I wasn't hit either until I was hit once. I mean, once is more than enough. And, you know, in hindsight, you look back 
once you get hit and you realize this is not a good place to be, you know, despite the violence, all the other stuff is abusive as well. Um, it's just sometimes you need that aha moment to really kick you out of it and have you decide I'm out of here, you know, uh, and everybody has a different moment, but sometimes it's violence. And unfortunately it needs to come to that before you realize that it's not a place that you want to be. Yeah, like you were saying, um, you know, once is one too many times, but what a lot of other people don't realize is like, that's also not the, the beginning of it. You know, like you were saying, there, there are a lot of different forms, emotional, uh, it's not just physical. And, um, you know, that's really important to realize and to give people strength on is recognizing that a lot of those other forms as well are just as unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, for certain. I mean, they're, they're much more subliminal and they often make you question whether it's just unhealthy. Um, you know, I, I spoke in a recent interview and I said, well, some people are just mean. I mean, some men or women in relationships are just mean and you just shouldn't be with them because they're disrespectful and they don't treat you well. But there is a line between disrespect and abuse. Um, and I think your gut really tells you what that is. But you start to question yourself sometimes, you know, should I really, whether you have children, whether you don't have children, there's so many reasons why people stay. Um, and I'm just here to help no matter where you are in your journey. I mean, if you're in the relationship, but you're questioning whether it really is abusive, sometimes it's a matter of speaking with someone to gauge, is it or is it not? And then if you're out of it, sometimes you need someone to really help guide you through those next phases in your life. It's difficult to start over to some extent. Yeah, for sure. I think you've got a, a book idea right there, the line. <laughs> yeah. I've got a handful of books. I take a lot of notes, like a lot of potential authors, right? You take lots of notes trying to figure out what, yeah. your, what yeah. your direction is going to be. Yeah. Someday, someday soon, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I have, I have a quick question um, sure. for, you know, you know, such a powerful story and then it, like like Chris said just thank you so much for sharing and being that person that people can trust um, for other people and one thing that has kind of come up in the past in some of our past podcasts you know we've talked about the virus you know the situation that we're all in the world is in and a lot of the times we'll talk about you know that it's in some ways there's some good there's you know people are communicating more families are more interactive and stuff but we statistically there has been seen an increase in domestic abuse um, yes. since the virus because of all you know the stay-at-home orders all the kind of additional confinements uh, that have come yes. about and I feel like that's not talked about a whole lot what, what are your thoughts on that no it is not in fact um, there are a lot of reports that show a downturn in reporting um, but the the true experts on the topics will say that there's a downturn because women don't have access to the phone that they can't call and report things um, their spouse is not, their abuser is not leaving the home. I mean, you're ultimately trapped, almost kidnapped, um, with someone that has now full control over your life. Whereas before you had some level of restricted freedom, depending on the extent of your circumstance, um, when they would leave. Um, so, and I believe that there are certain, I don't, I think it might've been the UK that said there was a 400% increase in um, reportings of domestic violence. I think they were the only ones that reported a very sort of firm um, percentage. Um, everybody else on a, a sort of city by city basis, at least here in the US, it's all over the map. But 
I'm not sure that we're going to really be able to gauge the true statistics until people come out of quarantine um, and until people feel confident. Uh, there's, there are lots of um, articles that are being written about how women are being um, coerced into not leaving by their abusers because they're almost being brainwashed into thinking that if their abusers leave or if they leave, that they're going to get sick. And then that person is going to bring it into the house. Or if you call the police and you send that person, the abuser, to jail, that the incidents of COVID in jail are so high and they don't care about these offenders as much. So they're just going to release them and they're going to come back into the house and then they're going to give the, the virus to everybody in the house. So it's, it's another way of mental control. Um, you know, rather than the woman thinking about it logically, which again is really difficult when you're in a state of mental control by somebody, that person is brainwashing you to think all of the reasons because of COVID why you should not be leaving um, with the kids or sending your spouse off. Well, you know, if I go to jail, they don't care about me. They only care, they're, they're inundated um, in the corrections services. So they're just gonna send me back and didn't you see all the people that died in jail? So when I come home, I'm gonna give it to you. So isn't it better that you, that you don't call the police? You know, it's, it's another method of brainwashing. So um, yeah, it's really unfortunate and it affects the kids more now too because they're home experiencing it. You, you might've been able to shelter them before. And that was my, that was my next question was, was how does that affect the kids? You know, cause I think that's, that's something a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people think like, okay, like this is how it affects the woman, the wife. Um, but it's so, so crucial, you know, like what yeah. it does to the, to the children. Uh, could you just yes. elaborate on that? You know, right now specifically, how is that affecting the children? And then my next question was going to be when this all goes back to quote unquote normal, when COVID calms down, what's going to happen, you know, across the board? I'd love to yeah. hear your I mean, I, I think I'm concerned about the state of depression. Um, you know, the increase that we're going to see in bankruptcies in people's financial um, issues. It's, we're just sort of at the beginning of it. The backlash and the, the domino effect is not going to be seen potentially for months to come. Um, and that's the same thing with the impact on the kids. You know, it's, they're, they're feeling it initially, obviously, as they see things happen, but the, the permanent psychological impact is so much greater. You know, it's, it's the same thing with alcoholism. Um, the statistics are rampant when it, when it comes to people that have been raised in alcoholic environments and their proneness to then um, lean towards alcohol as a means to cope. It's the same thing when you're brought up in an environment where your mom is not treated well or hit or verbally abused or whatever the situation is, you're more likely to think that's acceptable behavior and then bring that into your friendships, even as children, and then into your relationships as you grow older. So I talk a lot with women about don't think that staying together on behalf of the family is benefiting anyone. It is not benefiting anybody. It's not benefiting you and it's not benefiting your children. You know, my kids were fairly young when this all happened. They were one in four, and it's really only now that my four, that my now 16-year-old, who was four at the time, has said to me, um, really just recently, like, I remember that day that you were hit. I remember you crying. I remember you bloody, because I had them both with me, and when I came home, he was violently drunk, and I knew that there was something different in the air that night, and I had to get the kids out, so I 
I kept my one-year-old with me and I put my four-year-old in my bedroom and I was in the process of sort of packing up so that we could get out of the house. And that's when he hit me. So she didn't see me being hit, but I was 10 feet from her, you know? So I, I hope, I talk very openly with it, about it with them both. They hear me having conversations like this all the time. And I really want them to understand that I'm okay and that I made the best and the right decisions on behalf of them and our family. And that you don't have to tolerate that sort of behavior in any relationship that you have, whether it's a romantic relationship or a personal relationship. Um, and I, I find it beneficial to share with them. I understand if they were very little, you would have different conversations you would shape that differently. But yeah, don't think it doesn't affect your children. And I've had girl, women, grown women, who talk to me now about vivid memories of their mothers going through that. And these are 30, 40, 50 year old women. It never leaves you. And how your mom reacts and what she does and how she handles the aftermath and the years after that and how she talks to you about it. Um, does she hide in silence? Um, is she ashamed or is she powerful and really share the experience and, and the learning experience and why she did what she did to get out. Um, those are all really important pieces of the healing process. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to say, I think you're doing a fantastic job. You know, you're doing, you're doing your part. <laughs> Thank um, you. And that, that kind of leads into the, the next thing that I was going to say is, you know, um, a lot of people in that situation have, you know, outwardly voiced that and, you know, express like what they've gone through and how that's turned them into who they are now. And I think there are a lot of success stories, you know, born out of hardship, especially. Yes. Um, and that kind of gives people, you know, something to look to, something to say, you know what, I can do that too. If, if she can do it, I can do it too. If he can do it, I can do it too. Um, so, you know, getting, getting into that, you know, what are some of the positives that you've seen for yourself come out of this, whether that's strength, you know, whether that's, you know, seeing uh, another like situation, not necessarily with other people, but with yourself. Yeah, I, um, I've been through a handful of traumatic situations over the course of my life, unfortunately. Um, I don't think that um, you need trauma in order to be strong and powerful in your own right, of course. Um, and I think that if you have traumatic experiences, how you handle them um, can really shape your character and your values. And I think that's probably what I gained the most from it. Um, you know, growing up, I, I was bullied really significantly from kindergarten through high school. And I remember these memories as a five-year-old, which is horrible. I mean, I don't really think I have a lot of very good memories of, of my childhood because those things overpower all the good. I mean, I know I went on vacation and I know I went to ballet class. I know I did all these really fun things, but the bullying piece overpowers everything. And through it all, I found ways to cope. So I, I think I was born with a, a sense of resilience sort of running through my veins that helped me get through some of that stuff. Um, but then as you get older, you have to take a good look at you know who you are, what you won't tolerate, why you're um, maybe allowing these toxic things into your life. Um, again, it doesn't have to be a toxic relationship. It could be toxic friendship. Some people just um, attract toxicity. You know, why is that? 
what are your values and why are you compromising on those? Uh, because I got out of the relationship and I used to have like almost out loud conversations with myself in private saying, what the F? Like, you are smart, you're accomplished, you know, you've got a great career, you've got great relationships with your kids. Like, what, what were you thinking? Why did you not leave sooner? Um, and I started to piece that together and realize that I didn't leave because I was trying to fix him. I, I felt that I was stronger and he needed help because he had a disease um, called alcoholism and then some drug, prescription drug abuse, I felt I needed to do something about it so that he could rebuild his life when we separated. But you can't control other people. So, I mean, those are the learning, those are the things that I've learned. You know, you, you can only control you and your behavior. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be kind and compassionate and giving and thoughtful of others. But when it comes to giving up your own well-being and your own safety, um, because you're trying to help somebody else, it's not a good direction to take. Um, you know, why was I doing that? And what are my values? Like, what do I value the most in my friendships, in my relationships, um, with my family? And then almost like engraving those so that I know that going forward, I won't compromise on those things. So it made me more self-aware it made me really take a deep dive into who I was and the person that I wanted to be and the person I did not want to be. Um, and then realized you're not defined by those moments. I'm not defined by any of the moments that have happened in my life. They've all helped to shape me into the human I am today, but they're moments in time and I don't live in them. You know, I don't, I look back and reflect, but I don't live in them um, as a victim. I live in them as a survivor and then try to, to move forward. So, and those are the things that I've gained from it. And those are the things that I try to talk about so that other people can learn sooner than I did, you know, because I mean, being in a relationship for 10 years, is just way too long. It's too long to learn the lesson, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a beautiful Testament. And, you know, I think that, it's something that a lot of people need to hear and a lot of people maybe don't want to, but still need to. Yeah. And you know, and I hope those, I hope those people are listening. Um, but yeah. I, I think one last, one last thing that I would want to say just in regards to all of that too, I think, you know, um, the bottom line is that it, it's a pain, right? There's, there's a sore that comes with that. And there's a couple ways you can go about it. You can rip the bandaid off, you can address it, you can call it out, you can speak up, you can seek help. It's going to hurt a lot, but it's going to be over quicker. Or you can let it sit there. Don't do anything about it. It's going to get infected. It's going to get worse. And it's going, it's going to continue to develop and, and to grow. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to hurt either way. But, I, you know, the Band-Aid obviously much better. Yeah. I like the ripping off the Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah. For anybody who has kids, by the way, it's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they want to do it slow and steady for like one week pulling the thing off. It's like, no, two seconds. It's, it's one and done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you have to at some point realize, um, is this a fixable problem? And, you know, and it doesn't just go for abusive relationships. It goes for being in a bad job, um, having toxic friends, um, you know, not living your dream, not doing something you want to do, not having a hobby that you want to 
you know, invest time in, whatever the circumstance. Um, yeah, I mean, you really have to figure out what, you know, what's the end game and is it achievable? Because you can't fix something that's broken or something where some, someone else has control and they don't want to be fixed. So you can drag it out indefinitely and the result will be the same. Or you can take charge. And taking charge is hard, especially when you have to rebuild, get another job, maybe move, relocate your family. Um, but think of yourself 20 years down the road. Is that the life you want when you're in retirement, when you should be enjoying life? You have one life. I don't think that people realize, you think that you're going to literally live forever. You know, you have one life to live. Don't you want to live that life happy and joyful and grateful? Or do you want to live that life scared and sad and regretting everything, regretting every decision that you've ever made? So, I mean, you can make baby steps. I mean, sometimes it's very calculated. You have to come up with a, a plan when it comes to leaving a relationship. It's, um, it's a very calculated decision. But yeah, I think you need to get your mind right and then make those strategic moves and having someone there to help you and guide you and really you know, keep you moving in the right direction when you fall off the horse and you feel like I can't do this anymore is important. You need that, that support to hold your hand. Yeah, of course. That's, it's very obvious, you know, how passionate you are about this and, you know, why you've gotten into it and why you're wanting to help other people. Um, it's, you know, it's beautiful to see, but, you know, I think, um, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's also, cascaded into the rest of what you're doing too, you know, into your professional careers, what you bring to the workplace. I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit more um, about, you know, what you are working on, you know, client success and account management in that executive space there. Um, some of the experience you've had and specifically, um, you know, something that I'm going to pull off your LinkedIn, what the phrase empathetic leadership means to you and how you bring that to the job. Yeah. So, Empathy is one of those catchphrases that people love talking about, right? But I'm not sure that organizations or leadership know how to implement it just yet. You know, I think that everybody is um, on the train. They understand that um, people want to work for companies that have passion and purpose and a mission that they can get behind. And they want to work for leaders who are compassionate, um, who instill trust, who are transparent, who are intentional and who are great communicators. And if you don't have those things, people will not be loyal to you or your company. Um, they will not help your clients, they will not help your bottom line, and they will leave. So something has to be done. I mean, and we're in a very different age now too, right? I mean, the workplace is, gonna, is already starting to look different um, because companies were forced to probably do things that they should have done freely quite some time ago. But now they're being forced to, everybody's working from home, People have a, I, I have kids at home too, but I don't have little kids at home. And I really cannot imagine what it's like to have small kids at home where you're having to literally play teacher and work at the same time. Um, but I think everybody is really enjoying spending time with their children, especially if you're working outside of the home working parent. Um, I have never spent this much time with my children, ever. My children have never, I've never really helped them with homework um, and I'm never home for dinner. So this is really a, a new thing for us and my little one my 12 year old said that she loves quarantine for that reason only <laughs> you know but um so yeah i i've been in the corporate space for for 20 years um 
managing largely airline clients, a Fortune 500 clients, um, focusing on team development, um, doing customer development and client engagement and helping to build those clients up. Um, you know, I don't do sales directly per se, but um, you know, I do a lot of the contract negotiations at my prior company and I loved it. I, I love creating those deep um, long-term relationships with the clients by sort of immersing yourself in their business, learning what's important to them um, and helping to execute it and then building the team that's ultimately going to sort of take charge of the day-to-day. -day. So, um, and as I mentioned, you know, I lost that position, um, that long-term position of mine a couple months back because of COVID, our, our clients were largely airlines and my company took a huge financial hit. We were basically pushed, put the hold button on our company. Airlines went belly up for a, a certain amount of time and they're slowly coming back online. Um, but, you know, as an executive, you're one of the first to be considered to go to save money. And I'm trying to figure out sort of what my new life looks like. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build the foundation for things that I've always loved. Um, you know, spending more time coaching women and spending more time with entrepreneurs and small business owners that might need my assistance. But I am still looking for a job. I'm, I'm looking for a career in um, client relations or in account management where I can work for a company that's truly passion driven. You know, either someone that aligns with my own purpose or someone that just really believes in their product and treats their staff well. Um, because again, a lot of companies talk about it, but they don't know how to execute. Um, and whether you're a parent or whether you're a leader at work, the same rules apply. You know, you're trying to instill trust and build people up and set them up for success and for greatness. Um, you are trying to hold them accountable. You're giving, you know, proper feedback, but ultimately you are there to support them and help them grow and give them the tools that they need to feel that there's a safe space for them to communicate with you if they have issues in their life that are going on, um, which is what mental wellness is a huge discussion for me too. I speak pretty openly about that and I've had some challenges in my own professional life speaking openly about it. Um, but I think if you have a voice, you need to speak up because complacency is guilt. So I, I had a platform, I mean, largely on LinkedIn, but people thought I was a little crazy for being in corporate and speaking the way that I speak, they thought there would be repercussions. I just think that if you see something wrong, then you need to speak out about it. I'm not disrespectful, um, but I think that there's, there's a way to handle things and we need to do better. We all need to do better um, in the workplace specifically. And employees are not gonna tolerate it anymore. It's gonna be a yeah. new world, you know? Yeah, I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned, you know, you kind of elaborated a little bit uh, back there about the people first, you know, mentality, right, in the workplace, in the corporate world. And yeah. I, I think it's so important, you know, in times like this, especially like COVID, anytime that the business is pushed up against a wall, the true colors really show from the top yeah. down, it, you know, you can, you can say all you want, but at the end of the day, like it's times like this that like your actions speak way louder than any words, any yeah. words. And, um, yeah, yeah I, I think it was very interesting just listening to you talk about that, you know, about, you know, how certain companies kind of acted this way or, you know, that way, especially in, in a time like this. And also the same, you know, as a parent and as a business partner, as a friend, et cetera, like everything, you know, the, the talk is cheap at this point. Actions are everything, I think. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit when you were, when you were discussing that. 
I mean, what's the number one reason um, that companies don't like to consider remote work or work from home? It's largely distrust of their employees and they feel that they're gonna be unproductive. Um, why do you have people working for you if you don't trust them? Yep. I mean, that's, yeah. my, that's my rebuttal to that, right? So yeah. if you are so controlling that you need to physically see people in the office, which by the way, does not mean they're being productive, right? I mean, just because you physically show up to a brick and mortar doesn't mean anything. Um, but you feel that you're going to, you know, release those chains and all of a sudden everyone's going to run amok and they're not going to be doing anything. You can still check productivity and accountability with people working from home, but there's a significant distrust yeah. that employees are going to take advantage and they're not going to be productive. Well, guess what? We've had two months of this new environment. And although I'm sure that there were a lot of bumps in the road with trying to come up with doing everything in a digital world without with taking away that, that physical human connection, which is so important to people working, you have to come up with a new way of communicating and keeping that, those lines of connection, hum, real human connection open. Um, but it's worked, right? I mean, those, those large companies that have had to completely shift, or even small businesses that have had to shift, like mine shifted to a work from home. We were so resistant. I mean, we were talking about potentially working from home instead of renewing a lease. And there was opposition. And guess what? COVID comes and everybody starts working from home and you still survive. You find a new way. And not only are you still profitable, you know, in this new normal, but your employees are happier because they're not spending two hours in the car commuting. They get to maybe eat lunch with their kids, have be home for dinner with their kids. You, know, you find a new rhythm. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I know so many people. But you don't trust your employees. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. crazy. I know so many people that have incredibly increased productivity at work from yeah. home. And there, there are countless companies out there now that are saying, you know what, we're just going to stay remote. Like, why go back yes. to the office? And that yes. was a, you know, that was a conversation we were having with someone on the podcast previously about, you know, all of the companies now saying, like, okay, where are we going to spend our money? Do we actually need a 20, 30,000 square foot office or do we need like a 5,000 square foot office for everyone who's absolutely essential to be there if you're working in teams, et cetera, and then have everybody else be flexible. I think people, like, I don't think it's ever going to be the same again. And it's, it's been really interesting for us with everything happening is we actually own a, uh, an agency that is fully remote and we were fully remote before everything hit. So for us, none of that communication, the structure, anything like that changed. And we were having people ask us, you know, like, how are you guys, you know, changing your business model? And as far like as, <laughs> yeah, as far as everything, um, really, like we obviously, you know, had to make some decisions to pivot with marketing and what we were focusing on for sales and, and all of that. But as far as the communication and structure, we, we really didn't change anything because everyone was already in that, you know, we're all remote. We're all, you know, keeping up with each other on Slack and making sure everybody knows what everybody else is doing, but like still happily being at home. And, and I think that's a, it, this is a huge testament to what people are capable of when you give them that slack, you know, when you give yep. them the chance to, to do things on their own. And Autonomy is a good thing for employee yes. development. Oh yeah. It's a good thing. Micromanaging? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, doesn't no work. one likes being micromanaged because they really do innately feel that you're not trusting them. 
that that's the first thing that people think of when someone is checking every email, asking you to follow up on everything, constantly popping in your office. I mean, you feel like you're not trusted. And what's interesting from that perspective too is when you're micromanaging and when you're constantly being checked up on, whatever that may be, you know, the first thing that you said earlier was, you know, why did you hire the person for the job if you don't trust them? Yeah. The other question is, why are you micromanaging if you, th if you think that they can do the job? Why did you hire the person if you're going to micromanage them? You know, like there's no point in hiring someone if you're just going to do half of the work for them anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It's going to take some time, obviously, but I think that the sort of low EQ leadership organizations very well might die a slow death, yeah. you know? Um, you know, it might not happen overnight if they have enough capital to sustain themselves and enough clients to sort of keep them moving. But, um, you know, if you continuously act that way with your staff, then your turnover is high and your clients don't like that. <laughs> your clients want a steady stream of account people that they can communicate with or management that they can communicate with. Um, and if you don't invest in your people, then you are nothing. You are nothing. Everything happens with your staff, your staff, unless you're fully automated. I mean, your staff is the one that they're the wheels that keep everything churning. Um, so. Yeah. And I, and I think just, yeah, just to go off of that, I think, you know, I think it's, it's very important to also think about all the competitors that are out there that are focusing on the people first. And as soon as, you know, all of your employees realize that they're jumping your ship and going right to theirs. And yep. so I think it's also very important from a business perspective is like, if you don't treat your employees well, they're going to find someone who does. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's becoming more and more common in the industry. Like everyone's, you know, employee centric, yada, 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 like all the later, you know, all the latest trends with yeah. the nice kitchens and flex time and work from home. People are going to look for that and people are going to start expecting that and nothing less very soon. Um, especially yeah, I, I read a funny article where someone said um, working from home is going to be the status. I mean, working in the office is going to be the status symbol at some point. Yeah, you know, right yeah. now working remote or being able having the yeah. ability it's to work be from retro. home. It's like I get to work from home. You know, but in the future, it's going to be like I get to go to the office for like yeah. a day. It's going to be like a retro <laughs> kicker for people. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. I was like, you're right. It's going to be that. Yeah. Day. I, think, I think it's going to shift. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know so many people who even just from not having to commute, they have so much more productivity, especially in like yeah. big cities like New York or LA or anything. It's just people don't have to drive two hours in the morning and two hours at night. It's like yeah. They have so much time freed up. And it's just, it's amazing to kind of see how it makes sense, you know, once it's kind of forced, you know, beforehand, everyone's kind of resistant to it. Like you're saying, you know, leadership is resistant to so many companies and industries. Now that it's been forced, it's kind of like, oh man, this is, this is nice. Yeah. We actually have this increased I know. activity. And, and People it's, are it's, happier. The argument yeah. is the same. The, the argument before COVID is the exact same argument now as to why people should have been considering remoting. And I'm not talking about going 100% remote work from home at all times. There are a lot of companies that can do it. There are a lot of small businesses that shouldn't waste the money on the office space. I mean, it's, it's a huge savings to, um, to have everybody work remote if you can. I enjoy being with people. I enjoy being with my staff and interacting with people. I love having um, like face-to-face -face meetings with clients um, on occasion. I, I don't mind getting on a plane, but I even think that's going to change. Companies are going to realize how much money they've been saving on their travel yeah. budget <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. you know, completely shift. It's, the pendulum's going to have to swing back, yeah. you know, a little bit. 
we might go to the extreme at, at some point. Um, and then people will start, you know, eventually sort yeah. of going back to, to face to faces and stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't think people are going to tolerate it. They're going to, and there's going to be a frustration, you know, for those companies that were so resistant before, um, when other leaders were making the argument, well, it'll save money, it'll increase productivity, it'll increase employee happiness, employee engagement, you can save money on technology, you know, the list goes on and on. And then there's all those like hidden savings relating to retention, which are actual real dollar savings, but you know, it's maybe a little harder to quantify. Um, and now you're being forced and it's successful. There's a resent. Like mm -hmm. why now, mm. why did it take a yep. global pandemic <laughs> to have you make moves that were in my best interest. Yeah. And I, I think, I think two things, I think one, the corporate world has had such like a perfect picture for years and years and years. And everyone thinks it's like flawless, et cetera. And now people are seeing the leaks of the corporate world. They're seeing all the inefficiencies. Yeah. They're seeing all the, you know, the problems with it. So I think that's a big thing. Number two, you know, going back to the office space thing, I think something I'm, I'm personally interested to see is you know like you're saying you like to be around people but they're also wanting to save money when it comes to office space i think there's going to be some kind of middle ground of like they meet one or two days a week in some sort of common area work for a certain amount of time and then you go back home for the rest of the week like it's not gonna in my opinion i don't think it's gonna be like you're in the office from nine to five every day i also don't think it's gonna be you're at home every day i think it's gonna be like once or twice a week in like a co-work space or whatever for a set amount of time, like to have the in-person quote unquote interaction um, and then go back to the remote like work life. Yeah, shared office space. I'm really interested to see what's gonna happen with like the WeWorks of the world, um, yeah. you know, and uh, we have um, something called Luminary here in the city uh, in New York. I'm not sure if they've, they might be in several cities, um, but I know that they're predominant in New York and it's a woman owned space. I think they really are like exclusionary for women. Um, but it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when with those companies, whether people really just do shared space, you book it for you know, a certain amount of time over the course of the month or over the course of the year, and then that's the place that your people go. It's- Yeah, it's much cheaper. You gotta get creative, right? I mean- yeah, Much cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Someone needs to hop on the, the timeshare office space model where it's yeah, like, know. you know, Monday, <laughs> Monday and Thursday, uh, you know, Bob's company gets the, gets the main room and, and Tuesday, Fridays, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. I think that'd be interesting to have, you know, kind of a WeWork type situation where you know, a lot of the, the offices, you have your co-working space, but then you have your dedicated office space. I, I'd be interested to see some kind of a model where the dedicated office spaces are like for the executives and, and management they need to come in and like actually work together on the daily. And then the co-working space is flex space for the rest of the team that comes in one or two days a week. That'd be, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I'm excited for it, really. I think <laughs> the time has come, you know? Yeah. Someone, if someone starts that, I said it first. Just, yeah, I know, I was gonna say, you should do that. <laughs> you should jump on that right away. Oh boy. It's tape. It's tape. We heard it first. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's there's there's so many uh so many things to talk about here, but I actually have a, a funny funny question for you. So, you know, you've sure. been through a lot, you've you've done a lot with, you know, corporate and I think, you know, in in your work and in things that happen to you throughout your life, it really like changes personality and shifts focus. A lot of people, even just from freshman year to graduation want to change jobs. 
But mm -hmm. I have a funny question for you. When you were younger, you did ballet, and now you mm -hmm. claim to be a wannabe race car driver. That seems like a pretty oh God, dramatic so shift. Bad. So, so, so how I you... wanted to be a race car driver since I could drive. Okay. Like, I I had a heavy foot. That's the expression, Dream. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, lead foot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, a lead foot, whatever the expression is. Yeah. Right, I um. Right. Yeah, so I was a ballerina. Um, my yeah, my whole childhood, I guess, my adolescence. And then I stopped in high school. I went back into it, I think when I graduated college and then like on and off. Um, and I was okay. I mean, I was well aware of where I stood compared to my fellow dancers. And I was nowhere near where they were. Um, and I never wanted to be like a ballerina for a living. I just loved it. Like I loved the, um, I loved putting on the leotard and getting my hair in like a perfect bun. Um, and, and the pink, everybody had to wear all pink or all black, you know, like I really enjoyed that, um, the, the camaraderie and the, um, the structure of it. And I'm still a bit type A, you know, so I think that's maybe where it comes in. Um, and then I started to, I, but I've got this little, like, I got a little edge to me. So I, I'm not like the biggest risk taker, but I just, I love driving. And I think that I was maybe a race car driver in my prior life. I don't know. I, you know, I'm going to eventually get to Florida or um, I think maybe even South Jersey has one to one of those racetracks and, yeah. um, you know, take one of the, the actual like NASCAR course. I don't watch NASCAR or any of that. It, that doesn't interest me. I just love to drive. Just like yeah, going Which fast. is a little dangerous i don't know yeah. it's not the most it's not the best thing to do you know when you're driving on new jersey highways or whatever you know they love to to clock you um, um but yeah yeah i am um, yeah i am i'm i'm sort of quirky like i'm scared of heights you know but uh, but i clean my gutters like i own a house so i'm the one up on the ladder you know cleaning the gutters but i get stuck at the top like in fear, like white knuckle, then I can't get down. And I'm sure my neighbors have looked at me on occasion, like, what the hell has she been doing up there for an hour? But like, there have been times <laughs> when I'm just stuck on the ladder and I feel like I'm gonna vomit. Like my, my stomach is all, it's like churning. Yeah, I'm a klutz, I'm like six feet tall. Um, I'm a little klutzy, um, you know, I don't know. Just makes me me, you know? I think your quirks and the little like silly things that make you you outside of your corporate job or, yes. um, those are the fun things about you, you know? Yeah, that's great. I have a little yeah. bit of a lead foot too. And <laughs> I, when I was younger, I wanted to be a race car driver. And then I found out about fighter jets. And that was much more appealing because they went much, much faster. Have you ever uh, flown a plane? I have not ever flown a plane. I've been in plenty of planes, but I've never actually flown. But that's, that's kind of like a, a back burner dream of mine. You're like low key is to get a pilot's license. Um, but yeah, but you can my... do that for pretty, like, on the cheap. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just have to find a local, um, yeah, a local airport or something. And, yeah. I mean, they're not fighter jets. <laughs> what right. you're, what they you're, go, what you're they don't quite go that you fast. Baby steps. But, right, baby yeah, steps. Right. Work up one of that. Work yeah, one of the craziest stories um, that one of uh, our friends was actually telling us, so he owns uh, a government contracting agency, and something they did for a fun company trip when they hit like a huge milestone was go to Vegas. And apparently there's something in Vegas, I can't remember the name of it, but it's essentially like a Top Gun, like go-kart type thing 
where like instead of go-kart racing, you actually get in actual planes that are Mm -hmm. outfitted with these computer systems and lasers and you dogfight your friends in the air. With, so it's a simulation? No, like you a get an actual plane. Actual, actual and, plane. And there's someone with you to help take over, like if anything goes wrong, but you go fly the plane and there's a, the backup pilot behind you. And it's essentially like a, a test drive car where they can hit a button and take over all the controls. But you sit up there and you're firing fake guns and it has like the, the noise and everything in your headphones. And you hit somebody and it like makes the plane wow. shake a little bit and then they're like out. But it, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you would love that. <laughs> My guess is that's very expensive. That's probably more expensive than you getting your um, your license to fly. Probably. It's, it's yeah. not cheap, but I was surprised. I was surprised to hear the price point. We'll put it that way. Well, you guys will have to go as a team building exercise. Yes. Exactly. You can do it as a writer. <laughs> as absolutely terrifying as that would be, I think it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Write it off as a business expense. As a team yeah, building exactly. exercise, business expense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, being, uh, being someone with a lead foot, wh- what is another thing, you know, from ballerina to, to race car driver, if you could do anything that, that wasn't work for you, that's just fun, what would you do for a living? I don't know if this is going to sound that fun, but I would probably do public speaking. Interesting. Like, I would love yeah. to be paid a lot of money like six times a year, <laughs> you know, um, to, to talk about something that you love yep. that adds value to other people. I mean, it's a no brainer. And then I could spend the rest of the year doing pro bono work. That would be ideal for me because, you know, I'm in a, I'm in an interesting space with women who are survivors. Um, a lot of them are financially tied to their husbands um, or they're, they've just left or they're trying to reenter the workforce. You know, it's, it's not a um, it's not a revenue driving space. So um, I and I would love to still I would love to be able to continue to help people indefinitely because it's a long term investment for me and for them. Um, but you need something that sort of pays you well the rest of the year. So I would say public speaking for certain. Um, that would be sort of an ideal, an ideal space for me. Not very creative or exciting, like race car driver. <laughs> but I mean, actually, I can answer the question differently. So, I mean, that's that's a real and that's a realistic job goal, I suppose. I mean, going to public speaking yeah, is something yeah, that's yeah. realistic. Um, yeah. But I I joke that I want to. I should have gone into law. Um, because I am a damn good negotiator, um, and very persuasive. Um, or I would love to be a general contractor. I just love all things like house related and I'm pretty savvy, I guess, when it comes to stuff. So I sort of throw contractors for a loop. They don't realize that I actually know what they're talking about. Um, so yeah, yeah I, would honest, be, right? I would own my own construction company <laughs> or, or I would be a lawyer. You what's know? your, right. uh, what's I, your favorite I, HGTV show? Do you, do you have <laughs> one? Your favorite HGTV uh, show? Yeah, I used to watch like a ton of those home improvement shows. Yeah. Um, I love the little houses, like the tiny homes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched that with my 12-year-old. Yeah, she wants to own a t- tiny home when she gets older. I said, don't own one, build one. I said, you should be a tiny house builder. You know, there, mm. there are only so many of those in the world. Um, yeah. 
So I think the tiny, the tiny home ones, and we used to watch the RV shows all the time. I don't uh, know what I was thinking with that. We used to watch, <laughs> the, but the bit like the two thousand, two hundred thousand dollar RVs where people would buy them yeah. and then go yeah. across. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Those are fun. Awesome. Yeah. You guys watch HGTV? Or is that a girl thing? A little, I a have, little. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 I yeah, yeah. yeah. I really yeah, like fixing. Yeah, we're all Which one? Yeah. Oh, fixer upper chip and joanna games my wife is chip absolutely obsessed yeah. with the whole magnolia line and, yep. and, and we were supposed to take a trip to texas and she found out magnolia closed and she was so upset um, really because of well because of everything going on not not oh. permanently i should i should rephrase sorry yes but um but yeah it's it, fixer upper is great um but i think you know uh, mike chris and i are all pretty uh pretty avid when it comes to interior decorating it might not look like it right now because i'm sitting in <laughs> a pond <laughs> and, they, and they both are, are into uh, just chris just moved and, and mike is at a friend's house but but yeah fun times yeah the, uh, my god chip and joanna Gaines have done a phenomenal job at building their empire my god oh yeah great it, yeah. they great are business people yeah phenomenal yeah. Awesome. Yeah, one one yeah. thing I, I noticed pretty early on, is that a train track around the room that you have there? Oh my god! How did you know? Yeah. I was actually wondering the same thing. I wasn't sure if it was a oh shadow god, or so not. I wasn't oh, sure yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought I'm like that that's either some sort of really fancy molding going on or that's a train track. And I, oh my god. Yeah, so I when I bought the that. house um the owner i'm in my office now and across the hall is a bedroom and the owner had a train track it's this like phenomenal um yeah it's trim it's basically like it's yeah. a ledge with fancy molding and yeah. it goes over the hallway there's a hole um well it's closed yeah. now um but there was a hole there was a track that went over the hallway and then it's the same exact thing in the other bedroom and then it spit out the other side um so that was one of the very first things we got rid of was the whole in the hallway um but yeah it's still there because it's just a nice ledge and it's it's sort of a nice like decorative thing but yes it was a train track wow train track. <laughs> if mike lived there it would be running 24 oh yeah 24 7 so, no one has ever realized that that's what that was they always look up and they're like what's up with the weird molding on the ceiling why is there a ledge up there i'm like it's for no. pictures i don't know yeah. My whole childhood, I wanted to to make a house that had you know trains going all through the house. Whenever I see, whenever I see those, like, oh my gosh! <laughs> it's, awesome. it's in two rooms, two rooms. So the the wow. molding is still there, but the little hole for the and the track was there too when I moved in. But I took the wow. track down. It got wow. very dusty up there, you know. But That's fair. <laughs> so funny. I'm gonna remember that forever. I'm telling you, no one has ever. And I didn't even realize that was in frame. It's hysterical. <laughs> If if there were to be anyone to realize that, it would be Michael. So good, <laughs> priceless. Wow. Awesome. Well, I think we're uh, we're approaching time. If anybody has any you know, last questions, Mike, Chris, or Ali, if you have any questions for us, um, just starting to wrap things up. Yeah. No, I thank you guys for talking with me. Uh, it's been a phenomenal, fun conversation. I um. I like when you can veer off a little bit and not, not, not be so serious. I mean, talking about domestic violence, I always try to, I'm always like, it's, I swear it's going to be light. It'll be like a little deep in the middle, but like, it'll be light towards the end. I'm like, I'm not that serious all the time. I swear. I do smile. I have teeth. Like I, <laughs> I smile on occasion. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was really beautiful though. I, I, you know, with, 
even though how serious it was, it really was impactful. And I'm grateful we talked about that. And I've yeah, really enjoyed you. this conversation too, uh, very, very yeah. much so. I think for me, a last question, um, yeah. what is the greatest thing that you've learned from your children? Yeah, my kids are pretty bold when it comes to calling me out on my shit. So, you know, we don't play the, um, cause I said so game in my house. Um, because they will say, well, why? Like, you can do that, so why can't we? I mean, there's some things that are, you know, meant for adults, so kids can't do them, but I, I, try, um, I try to be pretty um, open with them and let them voice their opinions, which has been controversial. I posted about this on LinkedIn, too. You know, people are like, yeah, but your kids are kids. Like, they need to be reined in. I'm like, yeah, but... I'm trying to teach them independence and responsibility. Um, but they've called me out on some things where I've completely like, contradicted myself. Um, you know, I always tell them not to compare um, themselves to other kids when it comes to um, like grades or jobs and stuff like that. And I think maybe a year or so ago, I told my daughter, I said, yeah, but your friends are working and they're keeping their grades. And she's like, I thought you said that we weren't comparing me to other children. She's like, I'm different than them. And I was like, okay, you can't. I was like, you're right. You're right. I mean, so yeah, they, they've given me, um, they keep me in check for sure. They, they keep me honest. That's good. Because they're blunt. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's great though. Yeah. Everybody needs someone like that in their life. Yes, you need an accountability coach. Have kids and you will not have to pay for it. <laughs> you can just have your children. Yeah, you can just have your children to call you out on all that crap. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fun, but they definitely, if you tell them something and you're doing something as a teachable moment, but then you contradict yourself, um, especially if you hit hard on something, like I do a lot, they're always like, okay, yeah, yeah, self-awareness, mindfulness, blah, like, you know, they're like, can you just, just like stop talking about that stuff already? Um, and then you contradict yourself. Yeah, they're the first person to call you a flat, big fat liar. Oh, yeah, especially because you're the one that's, you know, supposed to be, you know, parenting them, telling, you know, that, that stereotypical, like, you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. They find every little contradiction. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for talking about, you know, just thank mental you. health, uh, abuse, everything that we covered. Thank you for, you know, sharing your perspective from the corporate world as well. Also, just, you know, some lessons you learned with your kids. We really appreciated the time having you on here. Thanks mm -hmm. to the three of you. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's okay. a wonderful way to spend your afternoon. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad to yeah. meet you. That means a lot. Yeah. yeah. For everyone listening, uh, check out Allison Fisher on LinkedIn. Uh, connect with her. And especially for those of you that were listening that got your hearts touched by the you know, beginning of the episode, please reach out to her or someone else um, for, for that help. Thank you so much again for coming on, Allie. And everyone, until next time.